COVID sort of brought brought this to light for me, this lack of leadership. And I think that the way the board handled it really is a, it's a fireable offense. The number one job of a board should be to get kids in school. It's become sort of an emperor has no clothes situation where no one really wants to say it, but I'm willing to say it. Exposing kids to diversity of viewpoints and opinions is very important to helping develop critical thinking. And I think that the adults right now are not setting a good example. Some of the extremists, the, their reaction to us when you say you know, the focus ban academics is, well, you're racist, you're trying to do the DEIB efforts. No, that's, that's not it at all. It's just really unfortunate that people jump to those sorts of conclusions when you just say, look, I'm just trying to get the schools better because I have four kids in the district, I'm just a dad, and you know, I'm trying to do what I can to improve the schools. Hello, everybody. This is Michelle Tandler, and you are listening to Notes from the Front. Today's speaker is Mark Woolway, a tech executive running for school board in the Akalani's Union High School District, a suburban area approximately 30 minutes east of San Francisco. Mark, a former colleague of mine, included me in an email last month that caught my eye. He wrote, I think there are serious issues facing our local schools. Instead of just complaining, I decided to try to do something about it. Mark, a single dad, has four children in the school system. He has, as he explained, a vested interest in making high schools the best they can be. Fast forward a few weeks, and I was surprised to learn that Mark's campaign was attracting some unexpected controversy and backlash. His critics were upset about a campaign donation check from a prominent Republican. The Chronicle picked up the story, publishing a piece and podcast episode with the title, Has a Right-Wing Movement to Flip School Boards Really Landed in the Bay Area? In this conversation, Mark shares the story behind his run and the recent media firestorm. He talks about his view of the current school board, how it is not delivering quality education, and why he thinks his 22 years of experience in executive and board leadership enable him to bring something unique to the table. I found this conversation absolutely fascinating, and I hope you will too. Let's dive in. Mark, it is great to see you. Thank you so much for being willing to sit down today and talk about your run for school board. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Definitely, Michelle. Thanks Thanks for having me. I look forward to, to talking with you. Just some context. I uh, used to be a colleague of Mark's. We both worked at the company Yammer. I was there from 2011 to 2013. Mark was our CFO and COO. I was a product marketing manager. And so when he let me know, a couple, I think last week actually, that he is running for school. No, a couple of weeks ago, you emailed that you're running for school board. And then you followed up last week saying, not sure if you're aware, but um, my school board run has started attracting a bit of media attention. And you linked to an article. I then listened to the episode this weekend and my jaw just about dropped. There is quite a bit of controversy spinning around um, your run. So... What I was hoping we could do in this conversation is a couple things. One, let's talk about why you're running for school board and how this came to be. And then let's get into what's going on recently and the media firestorm that you have become a part of. So maybe, yeah, Definitely. if you could start out, why don't, you, why don't you start out by introducing yourself, what you do now, and why you decided to run for the school board? Yeah, it sounds great. Thanks, Michelle. So uh, I... A dad, father of four here in Lafayette, which is a suburb of San Francisco in the East Bay. Um, and I have four young kids in the Lafayette public school system. My oldest is in seventh grade in middle school, and I also have a fifth grader, a second grader, and a kindergartner. 
So um, the vested interest in, uh, you know, trying to make sure that the public school system out here is as good as it can be for my kids. I've lived in Lafayette about 10 years after moving out from San Francisco. As you know, Michelle, I've um, you know, been in tech for my whole career, 22 years in a variety of operating and investing roles. Currently uh, president of a venture capital firm in San Francisco. And decided to run for school board. Well, backing up, um, the school board that I'm running for is Akalana's Union High School District, or AUHSD. And it's a little bit of a, an uncommon structure, but out here, AUHSD governs the four main high schools, which are Campolindo and Moraga, Akalanas and Lafayette, Miramonte and Arinda, and Las Lomas and Walnut Creek. And each of the towns has separate K through eight school boards. But so the AUHSD, um, with those four high schools, you know, there are over 5,000 kids in the school district. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty big, big, um, big district. And I decided to run, well, I guess I backing up a little bit. Um, the COVID situation really brought to light for me, a uh, lack of leadership in the current school boards out here. And I, I really don't think that, that the situation in, in this community is any different than it is in San Francisco and frankly, in, in most of California, if not the country. Uh, so the COVID situation, again, it, it shone a light on the leadership or lack thereof of the AUHSD school board. I think that the current board kept kids out of school far longer than necessary and did a lot of damage to, um, to, to these kids and, and really took away a large part of their childhood and their youth unnecessarily. And um, it wasn't just the decision, it was the lack of accountability and ownership. I started going to school board meetings and saw that basically the board threw up their hands um, and said, there's nothing we can do, you know, just following orders from you know, the county or, or the state, when first of all, that sort of Nuremberg defense doesn't, doesn't hold a lot of water for me. But more importantly, there, there was stuff they can do. Um, there was a, a chance, in a window in October of 2020 when the board could have voted to get kids back in school, and they voted five to nothing not to. Um, schools in Napa opened, private schools were open. So, so there is stuff that could have been done. And, you know, it really, about a year and a half of, of kids' education was taken away by this. Seniors in the class of 2021 in high school were on campus 20 days their senior year. And, you know, obviously academics, social life, dances, sporting events, sports seasons for athletes, all of that was taken away. And uh, anyway, so that, that, that really got me interested, like I said, in the leadership or lack thereof and um, got, got me taking a look at all this. Mm-hmm. Maybe just as some context setting, what exactly does it mean to be on the school board? Like, you don't get paid, right? I mean, how many hours a week of a role is it? Can you just share some of the um, maybe overview of the job description? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I didn't know any of this before I started looking into it during COVID. Uh, but the school board, and and this is similar throughout California, school boards are elected by voters in the district. Um, so in our case, it's voters in Lafayette, Arenda, Moraga, and Walnut Creek all vote to elect school board members. And in this case, there are five board seats. And in this particular election, three out of the five are, are open. This is just for the high school? 
Again, this 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 district is just for the high schools. Okay. AUHSD. It just five governs the four high schools. Four high schools. Five seats yeah. for four high schools. Exactly. So it's okay. one board that governs governs these schools. Five thousand students. Um, and the function of the school board is not unlike functions of a corporate board in the sense that, you know, there are meetings in this case, you know, just about every other week during the school year. And um, sort of like corporate boards, one of the biggest jobs of a school board is to hire a superintendent and to uh, manage the superintendent, just like the CEO of a company reports to a corporate board. Um, in addition to that, obviously, the board sets strategy, um, approves budgeting, um, and and makes board-level decisions. And it's a volunteer job, and I'm willing to sort of volunteer my time to, to try to make these schools as good as they can be. Um, like I said, I obviously have a vested interest with four kids coming up, and my oldest in seventh grade is going to be facing the decision, you know, whether to go to public or private high school next year. And um, so I'm, I'm willing to, to volunteer and um, do what I can to help. Mm -hmm. So what's your estimate in terms of the time commitment? So board meetings themselves are, are long. Um, you know, they can be three plus hours. And so, you know, you're looking at probably, you know, six to eight hours a month, at least in terms of the meetings themselves. But there's obviously prep work outside of the meetings. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot, lot, lot of work that needs to be done in terms of conversations that you have with district staff um, outside okay. of the meetings as well and, and work, work to be done. So it's a, it's a not insignificant time commitment. Um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm willing to volunteer my time to help. I think my experience in the past 22 years working in corporate boards is really uh, very helpful for, um, you know, helping me understand what makes boards effective and and what makes them less successful mm -hmm. and um so you know my, my hope is to bring that to the auhsd board just a random question coming to my mind how many corporate board meetings do you estimate that you have been in over the course of your oh, career I, I can't even imagine michelle it's uh in the past 22 years it's uh it's more more than more than i can count hundreds uh maybe not that much but a lot yeah okay well, I'm deeply appreciative that you were manning the board meetings for Yammer so that <laughs> <laughs> the employees, those of us who were not in the board meeting, had um, a really highly functioning organization to be a part of. Um, let's just talk about some of the issues that are most important to you as a parent and also a community member. So you mm -hmm. spoke about the lack of leadership. Um, and I think the whole country was pretty much in shock over what happened during COVID and kids not getting back into the classroom and just all the sort of chaos around the vaccines and masks. And I mean, it was like everything was a drama. Um, mm -hmm. But but going but outside of COVID, when you look at the performance of the high schools, what they're focusing on, their strategy, their priorities, you feel that things are going in your school district. And how much did that impact your desire to run? Yeah, so like like I said, COVID sort of brought brought this to light for me. This lack of leadership, and and again, I think that the way the board handled it really is a, it's a fireable offense. The number one job of a board should be to get kids in school, and they they sort of failed at that. But looking forward, what what I would want to do were I to be elected is focus on academics and improving the academic performance of the schools. It's something that I think has. Um, 
has fallen by the wayside in terms of the board having other priorities. And, you know, we can get into what, what those other priorities might be, but to me, the most important thing about education is the academic piece of it and, and getting these kids ready for college or, or, you know, career outside of after high school. And I think the schools out here are good. Um, they can be a lot better though. And I think they, they were better in the past. So just anecdotally, uh, you know, one of my friends in my sort of age group, he went to Miramani 25 years ago. And at that time, Miramani was sending more kids to Stanford than any other high school. That's not the case anymore. And if you look at the stats, you know, that small handful of kids in this 5,000 student district end up going to Stanford or Ivy League schools. Um, and now that, that's not the end all and be all, of course, but I think that that performance at the top end um, is reflective of, of the quality throughout. I think you need to have, um, have the ability to, to put kids into the best colleges if you're going to consider yourself some of the best high schools. So right. another way to sort of look at it, there's this uh, a sort of a ranking organization called Niche, and they publish the most comprehensive educational rankings out there. Um, the most recent rankings came out recently, and of the four schools in the AUHSD, the average ranking of the four schools on Niche is 20th best public high school in the Bay Area. So among all public high schools in the Bay Area, these schools rank 20th on average. Um, now, one of them is you know, substantially better than, than that average, but obviously it's an average, so others are, others are below that. Um, and I don't think that's what people really expected when they, when they decided to move out here. I think that you know, everyone's told that the schools are great. Well, 20th best public school in the Bay Area is good, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily great. I think people sort of always took it for granted and never questioned the premise of, of these schools are great. Well, I think that, that you do need to question that. And if we think the schools can be better than 20th best public school, then, then there's some work to be done. Um, another way to look at it is if you include public and private high schools, the average ranking is number 56th. So, and the best one of the four schools among public and private ranks 34th. So, okay. you know, what are you going to put on your college application? Uh, you know, I'm one of the top students at the 34th best high school in the Bay Area. Uh, so I, I think one of the first things you need to do before improving academic performance is acknowledging that there's an issue. And I think, I think there is an issue. And I think it's, it's become sort of an emperor has no clothes situation where no one really wants to say it, but I'm willing to say it. And, and again, I think that's, that's step number one in trying to improve um, the situation. And then step number two, I think, in terms of what, what's to be done about it, I think the first thing you have to do is really, after addressing the fact that it is an issue, is put the focus on it. Like I said, the focus has been on other things. Um, just to use some some anecdotes, there was a candidate forum a couple of weeks ago here where all six main candidates for the three open spots were on stage and the moderators chose questions that were submitted by, by the audience and by um, on the website. And not one question was about academics literally in an hour and a half candidate forum for a high school board. Literally not one question was about academics. Uh, lots of questions about social initiatives and, and whatnot, but, um, but I think that's indicative of, of the problem. And the current board, when 
you ask them about like what 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 they're going to do about academic performance, they'll focus on things like you know, well, we need to devote more resources towards wellness centers on campus. Um, and sure, wellness centers are 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 great, but to me, that's not exactly uh, addressing the question of, of fundamental academic performance. Um, uh, what what's a wellness center? I wellness center is 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 a uh, a good initiative that addresses um, sort of more social and emotional needs of students. But again, I think that the number one priority has to be the academic performance. And if the academic performance is as good as it as it can be, or as good as we all as a community want it to be, then focusing on all of that's great. But again, if you first of all acknowledge that there is an issue, and I think there is, in my opinion, secondly, you have to focus on it. And um, and then the again, the focus needs to be on academics. Another thing to sort of point out as an example of the, the focus on wrong things is one of the school board members at, at a different forum last week, the current incumbents who's running for re-election, said that one of the things he's most proud of in terms of academics at the schools is this new initiative that they're, they're trying to implement called Grading for Equity. Have you, have you heard of this? Mm -mm. Okay, so it was, I guess there was this book by an academic researcher that is making the rounds among the sort of educational you know, establishment throughout the country. And um, the AUHSD board, like I said, is is touting the implementation of this as, as a big, uh, you know, feather in their cap. But grading for equity basically means lower, well, a big part of it, the premise of grading for equity is that a lot of students don't have, aren't raised in an environment where deadlines are important. Um, they can't get work done at home. Um, and it's not, equitable to them to have the same sort of uh, deadlines and standards applied that that happened in the past. So for example, if you don't turn in an assignment, you'll still get 50% credit. Full stop, you got you got half credit no matter if you turn it in or not. Uh, there are no deadlines, meaning you turn it in whenever whenever you get it done. Uh, you can re retake tests as many times as you want. Uh, now, how that's equitable to kids is an open question. And I think once you attach the word equity to something, it gets people behind it. Yeah, grading for equity, that sounds awesome. But you drill into it, I mean, that that's not gonna prepare kids for college. It's not gonna prepare kids for the real world. Um, and I think it's doing kids a, a, a big disservice. And, and the fact that the board touts this as an initiative that's going to improve academics is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the focus being on the wrong things. To me, that that's entirely counterproductive. Um, so it, it's, again, I think that first you have to acknowledge that there is an issue, and second of all, you have to focus on it and, and put the focus on the right things. Just to clarify, you said, is it um, one member who's running or one candidate who is advocating for grading for equity or multiple? So... It's the, it's an incumbent on the current board running for re-election. So there are three open seats. Two incumbents are running. I guess one is has chosen not to. There's a third person running candidate who is basically a de facto incumbent. Um, they're they're you know effectively a slate two incumbents and this one de facto incumbent. Um, and they all think alike. 
Um, as an example of this, every board decision that I've been able to find in the past several years has been a five to nothing vote, no dissenting wow. votes. Like the, the, the decision to keep schools closed in October 2020, five to nothing, keep schools closed. And so it's this um, sort of monolithic worldview that I think is, is a big problem. And I think that we need to get sort of different viewpoints involved. And, and you know, board talks a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and all that's super important. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great to have kids exposed to a diversity of, of experiences, of backgrounds, of races, of, of genders. But what's also super important is that kids are exposed to a diversity of opinions and diversity of thought. And that's really what fosters critical thinking. And I think that's, it's, you know, one of the biggest benefits of education is, um, is developing critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's sorely lacking on the board. And that sort of gets to, you know, the other, uh, you know, topic that you wanted to address, which is sort of backlash against this campaign. And um, particularly, you know, uh, some of the, the firestorm about the donations to the campaign. Right. Just to clarify, those um, the incumbents running and the third person, do they have uh, do they have some sort of political identity that they've been open about? So the school boards are nonpartisan by definition, and it would be good to keep it that way. But the a lot of people have tried to make this a partisan issue. Um, so I don't know what their political identities are, nor should it really matter. What matters is their policies and, and again, what, what they think is important, their priorities on the board. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Let's talk about the uh, controversy. So if you Google you right now, an article comes up from the San Francisco Chronicle that says, has a right wing movement to flip school boards really landed in the Bay Area? Question mark. Um, this was updated three days ago in the Chronicle. They did an episode for their podcast, Fifth and Mission, about this, which I thought was actually quite thoughtful and mm -hmm. balanced. And basically, the main thing that they seem to be critiquing you about is that you received a donation of $250 from Virginia Thomas, um, the, as the Chronicle refers to her as the right-wing activist and wife of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, why don't you just share what's going on here? You know, how did she, how did your race kind of get on her radar? What do you make of the fact that she donated? Uh, does it concern you? Did it concern parents or is this the Chronicle just kind of spinning up some drama? Yeah. So backing up, backing up a little bit, um, I'm running alongside two other candidates, um, Gabe Ledeen and Renee Nowak. And we're not we're not a slate per se in the sense that you can vote for you know one, some none or all of us. Uh, but we're campaigning together because, you know, we're all busy working parents, and it's just there's an economies of scale aspect to to a campaign in terms of a lot of, of back end stuff you need to do and and whatnot. You know, again with three open seats, I think to affect real change, it's it's important to try to, um, you know, turn over as much of the board as possible. Frankly. Um, one of those candidates, Gabe Ledeen, has, well, so first of all, the way that, that all of these sort of campaign denotions have come in is through families and friends, right? It's 
we all have supporters out there and, and people want to sort of show support. And some of the one way to do that is financially, clearly. And one of Gabe's family friends is the Thomas family. And um, Jenny Thomas made a courtesy $250 donation to just show support for Gabe's campaign. And uh, somehow this became a flashpoint and conspiracy theories sort of evolved around it, um, you know, under the the idea that there is some sort of national movement that we're a part of to overtake school boards on behalf of the Republican Party or, or some sort of movement. I, I don't even fully understand it. It's sort of crazy that the idea that the fact that this woman on the other side of the country made a $250 donation to her sort of family friends campaign um, will somehow impact the curriculum or whatever at, at the local schools is, is I can, again, mind boggling. I don't understand it, but, but that's the conspiracy theory really. And it's also particularly crazy that like it can be associated with some sort of national movement when We've never spoken with any sort of national organization. I'm not even a Republican. Um, so it's not, it, it, if it's some Republican takeover, they, they've sort of, you know, got the wrong person involved, considering I'm not a member of that party. Um, are, are you a member of a party? Um, I'm not a member of either of the, the main parties. I don't identify as a Republican or a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, I think the, it, it's a separate discussion, but I think that the level of partisanship um, is is gotten extreme and is um, it's very unfortunate. And uh, anyway, it's a topic for another day. But um, I think people trying to make everything partisan is a big problem in the country right now. And, and that's reflected in this race because it's not a partisan position. It should not be a partisan race. Um, but again, the fact that somebody who has a different viewpoint on the other side of the country donated $250 has become this huge issue that spun up the sort of woke mob into thinking that, again, there's this, this conspiracy to, to, on a national scale to overtake all these school boards, including this one, and nothing could be further from the truth. So have you talked to parents who are concerned about this? Like, what are their fears? What is, what is, um... What's the argument against, I mean, um, what are people nervous about? Well, the, the interesting thing is you talk to people privately and, and most people that you speak with or that I speak with are supporters of what I'm saying and, and Gabe and Renee are saying as well. And um, privately, they are completely behind us. The problem is that there is this like, insidious social pressure um, that I think just stems from the, you know, the extremely vocal 5% or so who decry any perceived difference of opinion with their, you know, the current thing as being racist or elitist or an example of white privilege or just you name it. So a Republican takeover. And these people are so vocal that it really, it sort of bullies and silences the majority. And, um, and I think it's that sort of monolithic worldview and that, that, that mindset that is a problem in communities at large in the state and to a large degree, but also, 
on a micro scale, again, on, in, in this particular school board itself and in this race. So talking to people, people share my concerns about academics and the focus being on sort of the wrong things and on, you know, looking backwards on the fact that this board kept schools closed way too long and, and really did a, a terrible injustice to kids. But people don't necessarily want to say it because they're worried about, you know, offending their neighbor and maybe getting disinvited to a dinner party or whatnot. But, um, you know, I'm not afraid to, to sort of get out there and say it and um, hoping that, um, you know, there are enough people that, that will, you know, vote in private. Um, because I think that the, that the majority of parents support what I'm trying to, to stand for here in this race. Mm-hmm. What about your um, the other members of your slate, the people that you're sort of sharing the back mm-hmm. end with? Um, are they Republican? So again, it's not a slate per se in the sense you can vote for you know, right. some, Sorry. none or all of us, but um, we're, we're campaigning together and, you know, we're, we're different people with different priorities and differences of opinion. And I guarantee that if we all were on the board, <clears throat> votes would not be five to nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we definitely disagree about certain things and have different priorities. Again, I've talked about my priorities, um, you know, Gabe's and Renee's, <clears throat> Renee's priorities might be a little bit different. But we do share sort of more similarities than differences in terms of what we think about the big issues like the board's response to COVID and the fact that the board did that is really a fireable offense. And, and, you know, it's impossible to have confidence in them to make decisions going forward based on what what they, the decisions they made in that crisis. Um, And then again, about the focus should be on academics as opposed to, um, you know, a bunch of other things. Yeah. So Renee and Gabe, have they stated their political preferences publicly? I don't believe so. Interesting. So not, we don't really know. Sure. Yeah. I, again, I'm not sure. This is not a, a partisan sort of position. Huh. And you Very don't, cool. when you've, yeah, when you file for, um, for, to run as a candidate, um, I'm on the ballot along with all the propositions and the governor race and everything. But for most positions, you do have to state a party preference, but school boards, and I think this is, this is, noble and it's the, the right way to do things, but school boards by definition are nonpartisan. You don't state a party preference when you file. That's so neat. That's yeah. a fun fact. I, that's really neat. So very interesting. Um, huh. School board has the potential to potentially uh, show the path then towards a more bipartisan future. What about the makeup of the people in this district? Is this the county? When you say the the 5,000 students, can you just list the, sort of the main towns or cities they're from and be what? Yeah, Lafayette, sure. Danville, so, um, out, yeah, it, this is the East Bay of San Francisco. So through the Caldecott Tunnel, east of Oakland and Berkeley um, lies the community of, of Arenda, then Lafayette, mm-hmm. Moraga, and Walnut Creek. Mm-hmm. And the AUHSD governs the four high schools of those communities. So in Arenda, that's Miramani. In Akalanas, it's Lafayette. In Walnut Creek, it's Las Lomas. And in Moraga, it's Camp Alindo. And the, the 5,000 students I mentioned go to those those four schools. And mm-hmm. yeah, this uh, the interesting thing, it's you know, a relatively sort of, call it sleepy suburb of San Francisco, but it's become you know, a flashpoint. And I guess these sort of broader sort of culture wars, if you will, um, which is why I got picked up in the Chronicle and and elsewhere. 
uh, because I think a lot of the same issues that we're facing here are facing school boards, you know, statewide and, and in some cases nationwide. And I also should say, Michelle, you know, I know you were very um, vocal about the San Francisco school board and the issues there and, and, and the recall. And you were, um, you know, you, you helped spread a lot of awareness about, about all those issues. That also got me interested in all of this because I saw what was happening in San Francisco. And I saw the same things happening here. There are, there are a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, the San Francisco schools are closed and they're trying, the board's focused on, like, you know, renaming schools as opposed to the real issues and everything that happened with Lowell and the, the sort of the, you know, the, the, the I thought it was a, a shame what they tried to do with Lowell and, and, and what it did to Lowell's standing and performance and Lowell's, you know, the crown jewel of the system and um, trying to, to take away the merit-based admissions was obviously a, a huge disaster. Anyway, I think that a lot of those same issues that were happening in San Francisco that led to the recall are in play here in the AUHSD, but also, like I said, statewide and, and in some cases nationwide. Yeah. Um, so this, this again, I think this race is, it's sort of struck a nerve and, and got this profile that it has because, again, I think it is representative of... Um, of sort of the, the broader issues. Mm -hmm. I just quickly searched here to get a feel for how Alameda County voted in the last election in 2020, um, presidential election, 80% for Biden. So Democrat. Yeah. yeah. So this is actually Contra Costa County. So Contra Alameda, that's Oakland and, and Berkeley. So this is Contra Costa County. And from what I understand, it's 75, 80% probably Democrat registered in terms of registered voters, which is, I don't think it's that much different than the rest of the Bay Area in that regard. Right. Right. So you've got a very heavily Democrat um, community and you're being accused of <laughs> having some Republicans running for school board. It's an interesting story. I can see why Chronicle picked it up. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's a conspiracy theory because there's no sort of national movement as part of this. And, and again, I'm not even a Republican, so it's, it makes it even crazier. So, so are there any like controversial views that you have or Gabe or Renee have that people are actually reacting to? Like, is there anything from a policy, policy perspective that people have critiqued you on? No. Um, and again, I think that when you say you want to put the focus on academics, a lot of the resistance to that is around, well, that means you want to undo all the work we've done on DEIB, uh, meaning diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which is not true. I think that the current board has done a done a, a very good job in terms of a lot of the programs that they've instituted there. And like I said, those are, those are important initiatives and important issues. Uh, Can you give an example of something that they've done that you think is great? Well, I mean, again, so wellness centers are an example of it. Um, bias reporting incidents. They're, they're, they've done a lot. And um, again, just raising the awareness of all of these issues is important. Um, but again, I think that the focus should be on academics first and foremost, um, rather than social issues. Um, and by, by an saying the focus should be on academics doesn't mean you're trying to dismantle anything or you're opposed to these initiatives, but some of the extremists, the, their reaction to 
us when you say you know, the focus should be on academics is, well, you're racist. You're trying to do the DEIB efforts. No, that's, that's not it at all. Um, so I think that's, that's a lot of this sort of knee-jerk backlash uh, that you get that, in my opinion, is it's just really unfortunate that people jump to those sorts of conclusions when you just say, look, I'm just trying to get the schools better because I have four kids in the district. I'm just a dad. And, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to improve the schools. So any anything that you feel particularly passionate about from a um, policy perspective around education? I know for me, it's advanced math. I'm right. I've been just like horrified to see how somehow advanced math started yep. being viewed as problematic. And they're like, let's get rid of math. I mean, this is something that's been yep. going on um, for a long time in San Francisco. I think Matt Haney, actually, who's now a state senator, when he was on the school board, he sort of oversaw this decision to get rid of, I think, algebra in eighth grade. That's the, mm -hmm. I think that's yes. what happened. It's something like that. Um, but now what you have is all these students taking math courses on the weekends and at night, yep. and they're there to like, I remember... Um, hearing from someone recently that they talked to one of the Kumon people and they had the kids leaving at like 11 p.m. Right. Um, they've got all these kids learning math on their own time, which I think creates even further lack of uh, equity because, you know, if you have the students whose parents are really passionate about their kids learning math, getting them into extra special math courses, how's that fair to the kids that not only don't have it offered in school, but also don't have parents that are, you know, advocating for them to advance their math abilities and that getting, getting a head start on math can really have an impact. If you're then taking calculus in high school, you can take more advanced courses right away in college. It makes it much easier to become an engineer. You know, you think about the, the jobs in the Bay Area, we have un basically unlimited jobs for now in engineering. Um, so I'm, I'm very disappointed in how this math discussion has um, gone gone out. Anything that you are particularly uh, Absolutely. About? Well, I think that's another example of something that's happening here that's, that's happening sort of everywhere. And the, the exact same situation. They've taken away an advanced math track um, at sort of the middle school level, which impacts what happens at high schools, because like you said, math builds upon itself. So if you're not taking the advanced math classes in middle school, then you can't get as far in high school, then you obviously are going to be way behind in college and you're not going to... Uh, you know, be able to take the same courses. And it's a shame because, again, there's there's nothing political about math. There's nothing unequitable about math in of itself. But but it's become like this, again, a, a sort of flashpoint in these cultural wars. And I don't know if it's a, a if it's, you know, related to the, the idea that it's not equitable because there are different sort of outcomes in math. I'm not sure, but it's it's something that that needs to change. And um, I agree, I feel strongly about advanced math for all of those reasons. And just in general, to me, it's about meritocracy and, um, you know, making all schools more meritocratic. And that's that's not to say they shouldn't be, that they're not equitable. Um, it's not a question of, you know, quality of, of outcomes, it's an equality of, of opportunity. And to me, that that's sort of the American way. And, and I think that schools need to get back to that as yeah. opposed to um, to focusing on on the wrong things. I think public education is completely central to the American dream. I don't think the American dream can really, I mean, it can exist without a strong public, public education mm -hmm. system, but it certainly isn't as powerful. I mean, yes, you can, you know, be very successful in America without being 
you know, a straight A student or going mm -hmm. to a top college, obviously so many people start interesting businesses or become, you know, performers or celebrities or artists. There's, there's a lot of different paths to success um, in life, but my God, like if you have a strong education and you have, you know, strong skill sets in communication, right? Writing, reading, analysis, critical thinking, math, um, data analysis, like you're, you're going to be okay in life. Like you're going to be able to get a good job. And, um, yeah, it really bothers me actually that there's, that this has become so political. And I, I think a lot of the focus on equity is absolutely at the expense of be allowing, um, top students to shine. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that that's right. But, but I take it even further in the sense that I think the most, if you want to be equitable, the best way to do that in terms of quality of opportunities is advancing the quality of the public education system in this country. Yeah. Because, you know, wealthier parents can afford to send their kids to private schools. Uh, and to the extent that we can make the public schools as good as they can be academically, advanced math, everything else, that that is the most equitable thing you can do for for folks. I and we agree. So I completely agree. And I, you know, I've been in a lot of environments where, it, um, you know, professionally, where there's a mix of people from top private and top public schools all across the nation, right? So mm -hmm. whether that's, um, you know, various jobs like McKinsey, or um, even a place like Yammer, uh, people came, I'd say at least half of Yammer, maybe two thirds, or even the vast majority of people went to public high schools, but they I got so super, too. what? Yeah. I mean, and we yeah, haven't even so. had a bunch of high school dropouts, um, mm -hmm. interestingly, that were in even leadership positions at Yammer. I think that was something that was sort of unique. And mostly that was in engineering. I think right. it'd be probably hard to, um, certain roles, I think would be more, uh, would care more about having college education. I think um, we know that it is possible for public education to be absolutely extraordinary and even stronger than vast majority of private schools. There are many public schools in America that have unbelievable outcomes. Um, you, know, you can look at the list of them online. I think it is interesting that you talked about how many students go to sort of the top ranked colleges. Not that that's the only thing that matters, but that it is a leading indicator. It is yes. a, it is a, it's something you can measure. And so it's not the only thing that you measure, but at least it's a signal that like this school is is capable of preparing students for an extremely rigorous collegiate academic experience. And yeah. at least it shows it's possible and that if your student goes to this school, like they have a shot at going to X college and right. um, whether or not they can afford it, right? Because there's also need blind admissions at most of the top schools or maybe almost all of them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think... Um, It'll be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, do you think you're going to win? It's a you know really good question. There's no polling. You can't go to you know five three eight dot com and and see what uh what what percentages they're assigning. So I don't know. I mean, again, you speak to people privately, and um, the level of support's astonishing. Um, you know, you go on to the you know message boards facebook groups or next door and you know it, it couldn't be more hostile uh, but again saying? i think that, that's a very red what's right, keeping right, you right, up totally. at night totally well i think that's just a very small small minority of people so in terms of of um of how how likely it is that that i win um you know i'm hoping and very optimistic that again everyone that is is so vocal in their support privately is going to get out there and vote and we can we can help help improve the schools Anything you've read on Nextdoor that really bothered you? Um, I mean, I, again, I think it's just this general statement or general like conspiracy theory that 
just because I don't think exactly like and use the exact same words that the current board does, um, that somehow that makes me an elitist or racist. Um, and you know, that I have some sort of, you know, conspiratorial agenda, um, you know, driven by, you know, a $250 donation from Ginny Thomas and, and some like, tenuous Republican connections. It's just, it, it, to me, it's, again, it's, it's, it bothers me because not only is it, uh, it doesn't bother me personally, it bothers me because again, it's a reflection of what I was talking about in terms of, of intolerance to other sort of viewpoints. And again, I think that exposing kids to a diversity of viewpoints and opinions is very important to helping develop critical thinking. And I think that the adults right now are not setting a good example in that way. Because again, like just because someone might have slightly different opinions and a different sort of way of expressing what their priorities are, um, you know, the intolerance to that and the monolithic worldview that is trying to be sort of asserted, I think, um, again, parents aren't, aren't setting a good example for the, for the schools and the kids. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we're going to find out soon. Yeah. Election is in two, three weeks? Two weeks from today. Um, okay. Well, I wish you luck. Um, I can say anecdotally, you know, I was very lucky to work for a company that you were one of the execs of, and I think kind of taking on a lot of the responsibility around the operations and making sure that things were running smoothly. Yammer was one of the absolute best organizations I've ever worked for. I had a fantastic experience there, launched my career in the tech world. Um, we had a great exit to Microsoft. Uh, and I would be thrilled to see you in um, a role of public service. I think that the board would be very lucky to have you. Um, my personal like view of you, I can just share, having you know worked for the company that you were uh, the COO of for two years that you're extremely thoughtful, that you are very detail oriented and analytical. I think you will take this role really seriously. And I think your heart is in the right place. I think it's a real shame that um, people are getting in such a tizzy about uh, one check, but we'll see. I think this will be, you know, whatever happens, I think you're shaking things up and you're, you know, sticking your neck out there. And so I really admire that and appreciate it. And, um, yeah, thank you for this conversation. I'm, oh, I'm thanks for, for th thanks for the kind words, and it was great, great catching up with you right now. So appreciate it. All right, well, let's log off. Awesome, thanks, Michelle. Bye. All right, everybody, that's a wrap for this conversation. If you found this episode interesting or useful, please feel free to share it with a friend or two. If you're looking for some of the articles or websites referenced, you can check the show notes. Also, you can find there a link to subscribe to Notes from the Front and receive emails when we publish new episodes. Thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your week.